May the Lord bless the reading of God's word for us today. Now, the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him. But some doubted, and Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Amen. Friends, we are coming up to the end of this massive, massive sermon series that we've been going through throughout the school year and now into the summer. Uh, Firm Foundations is the second to last. Next week will be the last one. And I just thought as we're wrapping up, man, we have to touch on uh, this topic. It is so important. We've been talking about foundational stuff that you find in Scripture, that you find in the story of God. And this is as foundational as it comes. The topic of discipleship. And I want you to know, I want you to know that I'm serious, okay? I'm serious about the importance of discipleship. It is something that I think the church often gives lip service to, but we haven't really figured out how to do well. Um, I think it's something that everyone would say, yes, 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 discipleship is important. You know, you, you got to do it. We got to be disciples. We got to make disciples. It, it's in the scripture we read today. But I think oftentimes we say it and we just kind of like move on or, you know, it doesn't become a point of emphasis. So I want you to know I'm serious. And so I'm just going to meme blast you right now. I'm serious, guys. I am so serious right now. My favorite one is the one with Sirius Black from Harry Potter. I'm serious. Get it? <laughs> guys, I'm serious. I want you to know. You know how you know I'm serious? Because look, look again. Look at, again at the, the, today's title, right? I was like, oh, you know, I could call it the importance of discipleship. But no, I just called it discipleship with four exclamation points. I thought about one, not enough. Thought about three, not enough. Four exclamation points. It's so important, right? And if you don't believe me, it is Jesus' final commandment, his final words to his disciples uh, as recorded in Matthew before he goes back to heaven, right? It is it's something that we call the Great Commission because we believe it's that important, right? And so, friends, there's something here. And, and, and I do want to say, you know, and, and maybe for some of you, 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 you've been thinking like, yeah, you know, discipleship, it just seems so daunting. And maybe we don't really know how to do it well, but I really want to impress upon you, if I do nothing else, that it's something worth finding out how to do it. So if you don't know how to do it perfectly or if you haven't done it perfectly in the past, if it sounds daunting, I really don't think it is. We want to break it down a little bit. Uh, we we want to give you a couple nuggets about what discipleship is and what it isn't um, so that we have something to springboard off of, right? Because that's what the series is. It's about building a foundation, right? And so let's take a look at the passage, right? Very simple passage, very short passage today, where it's just talking about, uh, you know, Jesus told them, hey, we're gonna, I'm going to meet you on this mountain. And so they came there. They came to Galilee, and they see Jesus there, and they bow down, and they worship Jesus. You know, they still kind of have their doubts. They're still not completely sold. It doesn't really solidify until Pentecost, right? Things start to come together, but, you know, they're still kind of figuring it out. But even still, Even in their incomplete state, Jesus wants them to know 
what's up, right? This important commandment. He says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. This is it. This is the Great Commission. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in, you you see that asterisk. We're going to talk about why there's an asterisk there in a little bit. Baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Friends, this is what we're supposed to be doing, right? This is like the essential thing that churches are supposed to be about. Um, I I, I once went to this conference where uh, there was a United Methodist church that had been kind of dead. And a, a, a new pastor came to that church and really turned it around. And I think a lot of times when people want to like revive a church, they're like, oh, we need to come up with a mission statement, you know? And so he was like, yeah, you know, people always ask me, like, how did we kind of revive this church that was dying? And he was like, we didn't come up with a mission statement. I just said, guys, the mission statement's already in the Bible. Go and make disciples. Why do we need to come up with a, a mission statement and take weeks to do it, you know? It's right there. Go and make disciples. And yet, it doesn't seem like, if you just look at churches and what they're about today, I don't think that is our main focus anymore. So what is our focus? What has the church been about? Well, I'll give you a couple options. So one is it's been about numbers, right? It's been about bringing in as many people as possible. This is a picture of Lakewood, which is the largest church in America. It's a mega church, right? This is the converted Houston Astrodome where the Houston Astros, a professional baseball team, used to play, and they bought it, right? That's how big this church is. And I'm not saying that's good or bad. I'm just saying that I think oftentimes we, we think about that, right? You know, sometimes pastors, I, I'm not, you know, trying to throw anyone under the bus, but I've done this too. You're trying to, you, you meet a new pastor for, for the first time, and you're trying to size them up a little bit, and you talk to them, and you're like, hey, uh, uh, tell me about your church. What is the first question you want to ask, even if you're, you're not, you know, you're too polite to ask? But I know so many pastors, they want to ask. So, How big is your church? Why is that important? Why is that important? Did Jesus say, go and bring as many people into your church as possible? He said, go and make disciples. Now, I know you can kind of think of those two things as the same thing, but I want to argue that maybe they're not. You know, Jesus didn't say, go and you know, uh, convert as many people or go and make sure your, 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 your uh, seats are as full as possible. You're, you're able to get as many people to give as possible. Go and make disciples. It's not the same thing. Another thing that I think the church has been about, and maybe, you know, oftentimes actually you, you'll hear this as the equivalent of the Great Commission. And I want to argue that maybe it's slightly different, is that we've been about evangelism. Right, uh, And so oftentimes we think about like, okay, you know, I'm going to go out on the street corner and I'm going to tell people about Jesus. I'm going to hand out tracts like what this person is doing. I'm going to tell them about Jesus and give them a little thing you know, with the four spiritual laws or with some gospel presentation. You know? I need to tell my, my friends who are unchurched or you know, my coworkers who've never heard about Jesus about Jesus. And oftentimes, we actually look to the New Testament for this example, and i got to tell you, it's there, right? And I'm not saying that this isn't important, but this is the thing. 
To the guy who's on the street corner yelling at people about Jesus and telling them about Jesus, and sometimes doing it in, in, in a very kind of inflammatory way, right? Like something like, hey, if you don't believe in Jesus, you're going to hell. And they're like, hey, we're just being biblical, right? I mean, this is what Paul did. Now, I actually have a little bone to pick with the way that we're doing evangelism. I'm not saying evangelism is bad, but this is the thing. If the goal is to make disciples of all nations, you have to think about context, right? Jesus didn't say evangelize all nations. Now, I'm not saying evangelism isn't important, right? Because evangelism is about telling people the good news, right? It's literally what it means. It's not bad. I'm just saying it's not the same as making disciples. Does that make sense? I hope no one writes me angry letters like saying like, Pastor Steve said that evangelism isn't important. It's absolutely important. I'm just saying that it is a first step to making a disciple. And you got to think about this. At the time when Paul and and Timothy and Silas and all these guys, Barnabas, they were going around and they were sharing the gospel with people, it was during a time when nobody knew about Christianity. Nobody, right? It was brand new. So they're the first ones. How are you going to make disciples of Jesus if no one knows who Jesus is? And now I would argue that Jesus is probably the most famous person on earth, right? A lot of people know about Jesus, right? Yes, is there some remote tribe in Papua New Guinea somewhere, in some, you know, high up on a mountaintop that has never heard the gospel, never heard about Jesus? By all means, go there, right? By all means, tell them about Jesus, right? But I think one of the things that we misunderstand is that we look at how Paul did it, and we're like, okay, I'm going to do it exactly the same way. And it's a completely different context, now, we say, see stories uh, in Acts, and this happened. Jesus, uh, uh, Paul would like, just roll into uh, the Agora. It's like a marketplace. And he would roll up there, and he would just start talking to people about Jesus, unsolicited, total strangers. And so people do that today. They go to a street corner, and they're telling total strangers about Jesus. You know? But the thing is that during Jesus' time and during Paul's time, you have to remember there was no internet. Right? How were you going to get new ideas? There's no Wikipedia. If someone wanted to know about Jesus, someone had to tell you. And so people were very, very open to just hearing someone have new ideas. In fact, the Agora was not just a marketplace for goods. It was a marketplace of ideas. There were lots of people talking about different philosophies, different things. And so Paul's sitting there and like, hey, let me tell you about Jesus. And people are like, oh, word? This is a new teaching. I've never heard this before. Right? I want to hear more. Now, this is the thing. Many, many people have heard about Jesus. And we're sitting there and we're using tactics that Paul used in the infancy of Christianity when no one knew about Jesus and using tactics that would have worked perfectly well in his society. Just talking to random strangers in the Agora, in the marketplace of ideas, and we think that's a good idea today. Now, friends, I know, I'm not saying that if the Holy Spirit really convicts you to do this, I'm not telling you not to do it. But I'm just saying that just from a standpoint of looking at the context, making disciples by yelling at people who really don't want to hear it, I'm not sure that's the most effective way, 
right? And I'm not sure that that's the same thing. Telling people they're going to go to hell if they don't believe in Jesus and getting in a shouting battle with them, I'm not sure that's the same thing as making disciples of all nations. Does that make sense? Yeah? And so the church's goal, it's more than just making sure that everyone hears about Jesus. Most people have, especially if you live in the Western world, right? Most people have already heard about Jesus. That's not the thing that is lacking in church. The thing is lacking is that a lot of us don't act like Jesus, right? A lot of us don't, aren't really his disciples. What is a disciple after all? A disciple is somebody who is like Jesus, um, and so, friends, I, I, before we go any further, I want to give you today just three little notes on discipleship. This is a much bigger topic. I mean, we're going to spend the rest of our time, for however long you're at LGM, trying to figure out how to be a disciple of Jesus Christ. I hope so, because that is the goal, right? And trying to make disciples. There is so much to be said about discipleship that I cannot cover, cover here. So I want to just give you three little notes that we get from the Great Commission. And the first one is if you want to make a disciple, you need to be a disciple. And so I was just about to explain to you what a disciple is, and so it just seems like, a, like it's important to tell you. I mean, it's kind of like the most duh thing, right? If you want to make a disciple, you've got to first be a disciple. And so what is a disciple? Look at what Jesus says here. He says, you know, make disciples of all nations, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And I wanted to emphasize the you because Jesus is talking to the disciples. I have commanded you to do certain things. And so if you're going to make a disciple, you need to teach them to do what I have commanded you. In other words, you got to do it first. (laughs) Making disciples is not about telling other people to do things that you're not doing. I think sometimes we get this twisted. We call those people hypocrites, right? And sometimes, you know, there's this saying that parents say, it's a terrible saying. They say, uh, do as I say, not as I do, right? And it's a way of saying, like, yeah, I know I'm not, you know, uh, uh, I'm not um, careful about my words, but I want you to be careful about your words. You know, I'm not polite, but I want you to be polite. Now, friends, I don't think that really works. And for many people, I think this is the thing that is most lacking in the church. And this is the reason why so many people really don't want to be a disciple of Jesus Christ because they don't see many disciples. They don't see in us people living really like Jesus. It is the most common complaint about Christians, isn't it? Christians are a bunch of hypocrites. Christians act like they're better than everyone. Christians are so judgmental. Really, is that the way Jesus was? Right? I mean, are we actually trying to be like Jesus? So a word that, um, I like Dallas Willard, uh, the way he explains a disciple. He says a disciple is an apprentice. You guys know what an apprentice is? Like back in the day, like if there's a blacksmith or some kind of artisan, you know, a tradesperson, they would pass their craft on to a, a apprentice, a disciple. And you would be there learning to do exactly as they do, right? And so this blacksmith, they're making, um, you know, I I don't know, what would a blacksmith make? They're making um, armor or something, you know? And so like, like you watch them 
making the armor and then you're taking notes and you're trying to figure out how do I do that? And then the blacksmith would take the, the young apprentice and be like, okay, now you do it, right? Now, I think that we get discipleship a little bit twisted when we think it's just about reading a book, right? Or just, you know, kind of like someone telling you what to do. You're hearing a sermon, right? I'm not saying sermons aren't important, but it's got to be more than that, right? It can't just be the blacksmith saying, okay, I read this on the internet somewhere. I saw Wikipedia, how to make armor. The, The blacksmith needs to know how to do it himself, right? Or herself. And to be able to show that to someone else. So friends, it it is a very important question. If this is the most important thing that we do in the church, you know, and you're hearing this message and you're like, yeah, I should be about discipleship. I should make disciples. Are you yourself a disciple? And maybe the most important thing that you can decide today, any day, is that you want to actually be a disciple of Jesus Christ. you got to decide. It's a decision. It's got to be intentional. We're going to talk about that again in a little bit, but this can't be something that just accidentally happens. you got to be intentional. Do I actually want to follow Jesus? Do I actually want to be like Jesus? The second uh, point I want to make about discipleship is discipleship is full immersion into God. There is no halfway discipleship. You know, and this is one of the problems in the modern church is that discipleship has become so wishy-washy, so lukewarm. We think that it just kind of happens by accident or osmosis. If I just sit in a pew for long enough, I'm just going to, um, you know, uh, uh, sort of like, like uh, observe, you know, kind of absorb uh, uh, the, the Christ-likeness, and I will be like Jesus. So uh, there are people who are more clever than me, funnier than me, who have said that coming to church and expecting that you're going to be like Jesus just by coming to church is like going in a garage and expecting that you'll become a car, right? Or going to Taco Bell and expecting you'll become a taco, right? It doesn't work, you know? There's more that needs to happen. Just sitting in the place where we say, hey, this is the church of God, and all of a sudden you're like Jesus, that's not how it works, You have to immerse yourself. So it says, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in, there's the asterisk, in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. So what most of us do is we have taken this very literally, but we've lost the spirit of what this passage means, right? We have made it about basically, um, you know, we have to put water on them, get them wet, And then say these magic words. I baptize you in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Magic. You're a disciple of Jesus. Right? But we're kind of missing the point a little bit. And that word in, uh, you'll see this if you have, uh, uh, at least in the ESV, there's a footnote that tells you that the actual Greek word in, it's into. And the reason why this is important is because baptizing means to dunk or immerse someone. I know, I know in, in the Methodist church, sometimes we just kind of like sprinkle the water, or just kind of get a handful of water and put it on their head. And it's just because we don't have a lake around here, right? I don't have a huge immersion tank. Some churches do, and that's cool, right? If you can do it in the river, great, right? But we don't have a river nearby, and so we just use a bowl of water. It's symbolic. But what baptism is supposed to be is you are literally, your whole body is getting immersed in water. You're submerging. And we've talked about this before. I mean, you know, 
I don't want to get into all the symbolism, but it's almost like your, your, your life is getting immersed into Jesus. And uh, Richard Rohr calls it a drowning ceremony. All of you goes in because who you were before will die beneath the waters. And then you come out a new creation. Right? Or another way to think about it is when we talk about dis, uh, uh, making disciples, you are uh, baptizing them. You are dunking them. You are immersing them. You are absolutely plunging them into the waters of grace. You are baptizing them into the life of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Now, when you, th- when you think about the Trinity, when it talks about the Trinity, it's always talking about this unity. Right? I do what the Father does. I and the Father are one. We are in union with each other. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we're one. Right? It's this closeness. It's this intimacy. And for disciples, that's what it's about. It's about really fully getting immersed. Um, I just want to show this because uh, this is the second Nacho Libre gif that I'm showing today. It's a good sermon, I think, when you have two Nacho Libre gifts. Uh, this is, um, uh, so not, not, Nacho Libre, it's a story about a, a it's this monk uh, who, who basically wants to become a luchador, a Mexican wrestler. And so he has a partner who's not a Christian, and he doesn't want to be a Christian. And so he kind of tricks him. He just walks in front of him with this bowl of water and just, praise the Lord, just dunks him in, right? He's like, why do you not want to be baptized? And so when he's not looking, he just kind of dunks him in water, right? Friends, that's not baptism, at least not exactly the way that we're talking about here. Um, Dallas Willard uh, says, uh, when talking about baptism and talking about this passage in particular. He says, immerse them together in the presence of the Trinity, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Yes, baptize them in the name, but dear friends, that doesn't mean just getting them wet while you say those names. It means to immerse them in the reality. So what does this mean for us becoming disciples and making disciples? It is about making your life such that it becomes all about God. It is immersed in the reality of God. And one of the best ways that I know how to do this is just learn to be with God. I've preached other sermons all about learning to be with God. But one of the things that I know that I've realized about myself when I've tried to spend time with God is I don't really like to do it. I don't, I, I, or at least before. I didn't really particularly enjoy reading God's word spending time with God, praying. And this is one of the ugly truths that maybe we don't want to admit about ourselves, is that we're like, yeah, 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 make disciples, make disciples, but a disciple is someone whose life is just immersed in the reality of the Trinity, of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. I mean, first things first, you got to learn how to be with God, right? And, And so, you know, I know I've talked so much about kind of contemplative practice. Contemplative practice for me is just learning to kind of like let your brain not lead for a moment and to just kind of be with God, right? Just be, just be. Don't overthink it. Don't control it, right? Contemplative practice could be looking at, uh, you know, walking in a forest and looking at beautiful flowers and chipmunks and just not overthinking it and just be like, thank you, God, you know? And you're just enjoying it like, wow. This is beautiful. 
You know, you're just immersed in the reality of God. Or maybe just, you know, taking a moment to just catch your breath, take deep breaths. You don't need to do anything. You don't need to dictate any agenda. You are just in the reality of God. You're believing that God is there with you. You don't need to do anything. So much of discipleship, we make it hard work. I'm not doing enough. I need to read more Bible. I need to serve more. You know, I, I need to get up off my lazy butt and I got to do all these things for God. I got to go to Zimbabwe and preach the gospel to these people over there. You know, and friends, I'm not saying that those things won't come. But first things first, learn to be a disciple by immersing yourself in the reality of God. Just learn to be with God. Learn to enjoy God, right? And to me, the best kind of disciples, disciple makers are the people who really know how to enjoy God, right? You know, what would it look like if you go to somebody and you try to make a disciple and you're like, yo, you should follow God. But everything that they see in your life is like, you actually don't like being with God. You don't like God. Why would someone else want to follow God when you don't enjoy God at all? Right? So maybe another way to, to put this is fall in love with God. Fall in love with the gospel. Fall in love with the reality of being with God. And just let that soak you through and through. And if it does, I think you're going to be much more persuasive, much more attractive, right? I mean, it's just like when, when you go to a restaurant and you see someone enjoying a nice meal, it just makes you want to have that meal. Right? You're like, dude, look at that person. They're just like, mm, just enjoying it so much, right? And that person doesn't need to sell you on it. Hey, let me tell you about a meal you should order right now. Right? And they're reading from a piece of paper, or they're yelling at you. Hey, if you're a good person, you would eat the chicken cacciatore, right? That's absurd. But if that person is just enjoying it, and you look at it, and you're like, man, that looks good. That looks good because they're enjoying it. Have we learned to just immerse ourselves in the reality of God in such a way that other people are like, I want to have what they're having, right? And friends, if you do that, man, I, I just think discipleship will happen. You know, and the third point, I, I do want to say as a little bit of a countermeasure, because I know, you know, just being a disciple, immersing yourself in the reality of, of Christ, I do want to say that there is something to be said about intentional discipleship, right? It says, go therefore and make disciples of all nations. The Greek word for make disciple, it's just disciple as a verb. You know, like, have you ever heard someone say, um, actually, whenever I, I type this in to a, a um, Word processor, it always flags it as like not a real word. You know, I say like, oh, that, you know, you've been discipled as a verb. But this is actually what it is. Make disciple is, whoops, uh, make disciple is actually disciple as a verb, right? And so um, this is uh, from a word study, from the helps word studies uh, that I found online. It says, uh, make disciple, as the, the Greek word, it connotes helping someone to pro- progressively learn the word of God, to become a matured, growing disciple, literally a learner, a true Christ follower, to train, to develop in the truths of scripture and the lifestyle required i.e. helping a believer learn to be a disciple of Christ in belief and practice. Friends, I want to ask you a question. Does any of that sound accidental? Does any of that sound like it'll just happen automatically? Right? Look at that. Training, helping someone to learn, 
helping someone to actually follow Jesus and become mature and developing in the truths and the lifestyle of Jesus. And so this is one of the, the, the greatest, I think, myths of discipleship is we think it'll just happen automatically, that it'll just happen by, um, you know, accident almost. And friends, I got to tell you, this is not how discipleship happens. You know, I was trying to think of all the examples that, that I could think of, of someone being a disciple. And, you know, it's like, does that ever happen accidentally? And there was one example that I thought of where I was like, oh, there's one where it actually looked accidental, but it wasn't. And it is, <laughs> I don't know why today is about talking about my favorite movies that are old, but it is The Karate Kid. You guys know the original Karate Kid? Not the, the one with like uh, Jackie Chan and, and uh, Jaden Smith. Don't watch that one. That one's terrible. Watch the original 1980s Karate Kid. It is great, right? Uh, and this is probably uh, one of the, the, the most memorable uh, scenes and the ones that, 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 that we talk about a lot. Maybe you've heard people say, wax on, wax off. Um, and, and so what it was is that uh, so when uh, Mr. Miyagi agrees to teach Daniel karate, he says, okay, come over, you know, uh, early in the morning, uh, you know, 8 o'clock in the morning. Come bright and early. And, and so Daniel's all ready. He's like, oh, I'm going to learn how to fight, right? And so what Mr. Miyagi does is he sh- teaches him how to wax his car. You put on the wax on and then the wax off. And then he teaches him how to sand the floor. Sand the floor. Paint the fence. Right? And, and all of these things, and that's all Daniel does for like a week, is he's just waxing cars. And so at the end of, of an entire week of doing this, nonstop, all day long, it's the summer, so he's not in school, but all day long, he's just waxing cars, and he's cleaning floors, and he gets fed up. He's like, Mr. Miyagi, this is bull, right? I'm not going to do this anymore, right? You told me you are going to teach me karate. You know, but all you, you're doing is you're just getting cheap labor, right? You just made me a slave to just wax your cars and to paint your fence. And, and so uh, Mr. Miyagi, this is the famous scene, right, where he brings him over. He goes, show me, wax on, wax off. Show me, sand the floor. And he shows him how to, like, kind of tighten it a little bit. You know, when you're waxing on, you go like this. And when you wax off, you go like this, right? And then Mr. Miyagi starts punching when he does it. And so what happens is, you know, Daniel, all of a sudden, he knows karate, and he didn't even know it, that the movements that he was doing, like painting the fence, he's like, whoosh, whoosh, you know? And so the, Mr. Miyagi starts punching really fast, and, and, and Daniel, just muscle memory, just wax on, wax off, wax on, wax on, you know, you know, sand the floor, sand the floor. And just, it, it's, it's awesome. And you realize in that moment that, I don't think this would actually work in real life, by the way, but it's just great in a movie form. You're like, you realize that it was all intentional. Even if Daniel didn't know what what, what the plan was, Mr. Miyagi absolutely knew, right? And so this is the thing. Maybe even when things look like they're not intentional, someone needs to know what they're doing, (laughs) you know? And so, friends, as we become Christ's disciples, we need to be intentional in how we Um, go out into the world and how we go out into our church communities, right? Now, see, this is one of the things why, I mean, to me, again, I think evangelism is important, but I think that especially for those of us who are in a country like the United States, where like Jesus is the, like the most famous person, 
right? Like, like people know the basic story. Now, you can make an, an argument that they don't know the precise nature of the gospel and hasn't been communicated to them properly. I, and, and, and I would say, yes, there's something to be said about that. But I think that for most people, the way you really make disciples is through genuine relationships. No longer do we have an agora where we um, just would naturally have people sharing new ideas with us and we would welcome it. If someone comes up to you on the street and they're like, let me tell you about Jesus, let me tell you how to follow Jesus, or if they say anything like that, I mean, someone could be trying to give you uh, something. I saw a YouTube video where somebody was trying to give away a house that costs a dollar. And it's like a YouTube stunt, right? He's just doing it for a video and publicity. But all these people pass by, like hundreds of people pass by before one person finally wanders in and he's like, wait, is this really a dollar? And they're like, yeah, seriously, it's one dollar, right? That nobody believes what, what a random stranger will say to them just on the street. It doesn't work that way anymore. We need to know that they're really trustworthy. Now, if your mom or your dad, and if your mom and dad are a, a, a humongous troll, or your best friend, we're like, hey, Adam, I'm going to give you a house, and because I love you, I'm only going to charge you a dollar. Right? You might trust that more, but it's because you know them. It's in the context of the relationship. So if you have someone that, that already cares about you, that you know they're for real, you know there's no string attached, you're going to listen to them more. Right? And if you've actually seen their life, that they're trustworthy, that you've actually seen in them Christ-likeness, and they're like, hey, let me tell you more about Jesus, you would be way more willing to listen to that person than a random person yelling at you on a street corner. Amen? Does that make sense? And so to me, a lot of discipleship, it's going to happen in the church. It's going to happen in this place where we gather in the name of Jesus, and we're already here anyway, so we might as well do what Jesus said which is to actually make disciples, right? We're not here to just hear a couple inspirational words. We're not here even to just break bread and have fellowship. That stuff is great, but it all is meant to serve a purpose, and it is to actually make disciples of Jesus Christ. And so this is the thing. We have lots of activities we do in the church, and a lot of them can be discipleship opportunities. Tomorrow, in person, the campus in postgrad is going to go on a barbecue, Right? And, and I'm just using this as an example because there are many, many events like this where you can just go to it and it can just be about eating hot dogs to you. Right? It can just be about throwing around a Frisbee or just meeting up with your friends. Or it can be a discipleship opportunity. It can be an opportunity for you to really learn how to love people. Right? It can be an opportunity. Maybe there's someone at that picnic that you can't stand. And it can be an opportunity for you to immerse yourself in the reality of Jesus Christ right there in front of somebody that you don't like. Learning to be patient. Learning to love them. Learning to actually do what Jesus would do. You you, you look at the, the Sermon on the Mount and all this stuff that talks about dealing with your anger and learning how to bless people who curse you. You get to practice all of that. And you get to do it in a relatively safe environment amongst fellow church people. Right? Every week, every week, when you all come back and we're eating donuts over there, those are discipleship opportunities, right? When you reach out to someone, you got to be intentional. At least one person needs to know what they're doing, right? And so, friends, I, I just want to say, it is absolutely worth doing. I know there's so many people nowadays, you know, we, we come to church and we're like, why do we do any of this? Why do we need to do this? What is the point of, of, you know, um, 
having worship and all this stuff. And maybe some of you have already figured this out. In this past year, when we have not been able to meet, and yeah, you can do it from home. You can go to any church you want. You can go to Lakewood, right, the biggest church in the world. You can, you know, listen to Tim Keller every week preach. Not sure if he's retired, but you know what I'm saying, right? You can go to any church you want. Why this church? It's because discipleship is about relationships. So you can get good teaching. You can get really great praise and worship at any church you visit virtually. But you're probably not going to find personal, relational discipleship. It's only done in community, in communities of people where you actually get to know them, right? You actually get to talk to them. You actually get to interact with them. And for many of us, if you're like me, you've been missing it, haven't you? And and maybe that's one of the gifts of the pandemic, is that we've taken away, we've stripped away all the relational stuff in church, and we're like, oh my gosh, that was the good stuff. But I want to say, I know there were a lot of people who were doing relational stuff before the pandemic. And, you know, there's some people when they do relational stuff, you know, people get in fights or people gossip about each other. Right? People form little cliques and exclude one another. People are racist or people are supremacist or people are you know, doing all these things and they do it in relationships. They're not particularly good relationships. And so what makes discipleship different is that we are doing it in the manner, in the reality of Jesus Christ. We are immersing ourselves in the reality of Jesus so that we can become like Jesus and that we can pass that on to someone else. And when you see those kinds of relationships, man, there is nothing better, right? It is church in its purest, best form, right? That's what church is. It's not just a place for us to eat donuts, guys. It's a place for us to be disciples and make disciples. Do you want that? I want that so desperately. And I want to encourage you, if it is about being intentional, I want us to learn how to pray for that. And just, you know, I want to leave with this quote. The greatest issue facing the world today with all its heartbreaking needs is whether those who by profession or culture are identified as Christians will become disciples, students, apprentices, practitioners of Jesus Christ, steadily learning from him how to live the life of the kingdom of the heavens into every corner of human existence. This is what the world needs. And it starts here. It starts with us. Yeah, it seems like it starts small. I know some of the other things that the church has emphasized. They're big numbers, right? You can have hundreds of thousands of people gathering in a church if you give them enough donuts, or you know, if you're like, hey, we have an exclusive screening of the new Marvel movie, maybe you'll bring in lots of people to your church, but they're not going to be disciples. You can yell at people at a street corner. You can guilt them into some sort of conversion, I guess, but they're not necessarily going to be a disciple. But for us to really, really make the impact that God wants for the kingdom, it is for the people of God to actually learn how to be a disciple, how to train, how to get better, how to grow, how to immerse yourself more in the reality of God. Because friends, 
I, I think, you know, when we have that gift to give to the world, right, people who love like Jesus, can you just imagine what this world would look like? It's small change, but that's what the church is all about. Will you be about it too? Praise team, can you guys come up? That's the question I present to you. What are we about when it comes to the church? What are we about when it comes to our lives? Is discipleship your heart's cry, your desire, your aim? Or is it something else? You know, I think that's something we need to be honest about. You can definitely be a disciple at work. Don't get me wrong. It doesn't mean you've got to quit your job or leave your family. You know, you can do it. You can learn from where you are. You know? But it's got to be something that we make a decision. So friends, would you just pray with me right now? Precious God, I want to pray for any person Maybe they've made this decision before. Maybe they thought they'd made this decision. But functionally, we haven't been living as a disciple. We haven't been immersing ourselves in the reality of who you are. When when we're being really honest, we don't really like you or spiritual things. But God, we want to learn. We want to learn how to become more like your son. How for our lives to just be bathed in the reality of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit want to be all about you God, and to share that with this world so God if there's anyone who maybe needs to make that decision again I pray right now that we can make that that we can say yes Lord we decide today that we are going to follow you we decide today we are going to be a disciple of Jesus Christ Lord I celebrate that I affirm that anyone has made that decision right now God we thank you Jesus' name. May you bind that decision in their hearts and may you mobilize heaven uh, uh, to to help this person, to to give them strength and encouragement, God, that they need and to bring alongside fellow brothers and sisters who will walk alongside them, who will also desire to follow Jesus and we can do this together. We thank you, God. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.